Hi there, welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast by Skiff Meetings. This episode is a bit of a uh, Christmas present for you if you celebrate Christmas. It is an interview with Clemmy Hardy, the head of pencils at Noodle Live. Uh, that is her title, um, and I'll leave it there. You'll learn more about it if you listen to the episode. It's really all about work-life balance. My conversation with Clemmy goes into a lot of details about how she's really changed her life uh, since the COVID pandemic and the changes that she's made to her business and her way of working, really. Um, we go quite deep into the reason behind these changes and what she's been able to achieve so far and some of the um, quite interesting projects and ideas and plans that she has for the future. I think this is the perfect episode if you're trying to relax and take a little bit of a break over the uh, winter uh, holidays. I hope you enjoy listening to the podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And now for a word from our sponsors. PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Hello, welcome to the Events Manager Podcast by Skiff Meetings. I'm Miguel Nevsch, Editor-in-Chief of Skiff Meetings, and I am delighted to have on the podcast a guest, somebody I've known for quite a few years um, uh, and an expert in event tech and a lot of things around the event industry, Clemmy Hardy, the uh, Head of Pencils at Noodle Live. Now, that is quite a title, Clemmy. Um, Shall we start there? <laughs> Can you dissect that one a little bit for us? And welcome to the show. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Miguel. I appreciate you having me today. Um, and yeah, there's um, obviously stationary and unruly area of business, number one. Uh, but really, it was when I first started Noodle, I was only 25. I still had a few dreadlocks. It didn't feel like CEO was a particularly appropriate title for myself at that time. So I just, as a joke, put head of pencils on my email for her as I was building the business up and so many people liked it and commented on it that I just kept it and it's sort of become a bit of a signature shall we say love it so tell us a little bit about noodle and also your kind of journey uh in the event industry I mean you you mentioned uh you started at 25 what were you doing before and I think an interesting point for me is always when did you really realize there was this thing called the events industry and particularly kind of on the business side that that isn't something that, you know, younger people necessarily know that much about. So when did you kind of realize and, and what was your journey into it? Sure. So I started my career in online marketing. So I was kind of uh, did on-site and off-site SEO. So helping people with, with their search rankings um, and kind of also doing that kind of first wave of social media marketing consultancy. Um, and this was when that kind of awareness of the importance of data and how it can kind of, you know, feed into so many different areas of business was really kind of becoming more prevalent. 
And I remember I was doing like a lot of reading at that at that point of all the kind of major marketing journals and marketing blogs. And I saw this uh, activation that uh, Coca-Cola did um, where they basically gave people RFID wristbands and they were able to like physical objects within an event space. And this just like this just really appealed to me. And I really liked that idea of kind of meshing the kind of online and offline activity. And that was essentially when, where the idea for Noodle came from. Um, and that's where our platform started was, uh, you know, providing RFID badges for people to use at events and basically creating different data touch points within the physical environment of the event. So, you know, that could be checking into a session, picking up a document afterwards, interacting with an exhibitor, viewing a personalized schedule. There's a bunch of different things that we did uh, like to create experiences linked into the RFID badges. Um, and that was kind of like where the idea started. And then the platform naturally evolved. We, uh, we kind of started doing just standard badging as well. Uh, we had an event app at one point that kind of linked in with the badges so that you could, you know, view your event journey on your own device. And, you know, we were um, we were kind of uh, like like before the pandemic, we were we were offering that as a managed service. We were delivering kind of 300 events a year, a lot of kind of like big corporates uh, working on anything up to sort of 15,000 people events. So, wow. you know, and all we, having RFID badges, so that's, that's a lot of RFID tags and badges. It's yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, like really like we kind of quickly realized that, you know, where our position was in the market was to be the on-site data capture experts. So, you know, we had people capturing loads of great data pre-event, um, through the kind of pre-reg systems, but, you know, there didn't seem to really be like somebody that was kind of really meeting that brief uh, that well. Um, and so that's kind of what we focused on. Um, and so that was all going very well. And I remember February 2020, Clem being like, oh, cute. They uh, they cancelled World Book Fair. That's a bit weird. <laughs> it's not, it's not going to be a thing, though. And then obviously yeah. looking back at that now, is uh you know yeah that was uh definitely not an accurate prediction um <laughs> i think the and- most of the industry was basically saying that it was like oh yeah this this will be over in a couple of weeks kind of thing right that was the, the general kind of focus there yeah so um and then i kind of you know the pandemic obviously presented us all with with a lot of uh interesting challenges um and but before we before we go to the pandemic, wanted to kind mm-hmm. of so with with Noodle Live, do you um, do you kind of do everything? Do you tend to normally partner with other tech companies? How how does it work? Are you kind of only doing the on site, and then there's possibly other people doing registration or other things? How, how does that kind of ecosystem? I guess I'm, I'm sure it varies, but what is a sort of a typical uh, activation for for what you do or what you did before the pandemic? Sure. So we would, um, like before the pandemic, we would obviously provide our customers with use of our platform. And that was, you know, like an admin dashboard with a supporting scanning app. Um, and that's, you know, we would support them pre-event with setting that up, planning where the different touch points should be, um, kind of really trying to understand what data they were looking to get out of the event so that then we could like consult with them 
and um, you know suggest the most effective implementation of the platform to capture those required data sets whilst also you know improving the attendee experience um and then from that we would you know advise them on you know what hardware they needed what badges they needed and we would we at the time uh, had a whole team of project managers who would then coordinate the booking of the hardware the booking of the on-site staff and the ordering of the consumables i.e the badges that you needed for the event and uh then yeah and yeah and, then and- we would all that together in in the on-site delivery so kind of end-to-end pre-pandemic okay and and can you i think rfid badges are, are one of those things that i've seen in action in some uh shape or form for 10 years something like that um they don't tend to be at every event uh they tend to be only at, at kind of specific events of course we'd like to to see more uh, but how has that technology kind of evolved over the years? Because I imagine when you started, what it could do was relatively basic and what it can do now is probably something completely different. Was it was it sort of like you saw a glimmer of what could be done and then you sort of went with it and it evolved or or has it been doing the same thing for, for, for 10 years? Sure. I guess so. the premise of RFID is that when you've got a badge who's assigned to a user and you've got a touch point which is set up to do like initiate an action right so when i tap here the like that touch point knows send this document to this user um the actual kind of rfid readers i where i would tap my badge have evolved so at the beginning we used to like just use kind of like non-screen based touch points so you would just have a little noise that indicated that that you know the action had been successful um, and then we've kind of evolved that to develop um, an Android app that was used on on our scanners, which was screen based. And this opened up like a whole bunch more kind of branding opportunities and just a generally kind of better user experience. Right. So I'm not just tapping to in- indicate my interest as booth. I can then tap at this screen based scanner and then use the screen to then initiate further actions that are better for me. So, you know, I could like request a document or request a follow-up or answer a bunch of questions. And that obviously enriches the data, but just provides a little bit more kind of uh, like of a better experience for me as an attendee. But, you know, the, the, the one thing that was always challenging was that the, whilst this app could be used on Android devices that had NFC readers in them, um then like we weren't yet open to the ios ecosystem and what's been really exciting in the last couple of years is ios have actually like opened up the nfc reader to third-party developers and this is now where we're kind of taking things is that we're now going to have a bring your own device app that can be used on ios and android that can be used to scan rfid badges so I think that that takes down one of the kind of key issues with large scale RFID implementation where you kind of would have to ship a lot of hardware. Now you can just say, does your phone have Apple Pay or Google Wallet? Great. You can use our scanning app. And, you know, the like cost of hardware, the the like actual kind of RFID tags has come down. The like hardware to kind of link those badges is, again, just getting cheaper and cheaper and more and more widely available. So I think that this kind of takes away some of the concerns that the industry had around this technology of, 
oh, it's expensive. Oh, it's not scalable. We're now moving into an era where, you know, people can scan RFID badges on their own phones. And that also opens up a bunch of exciting opportunities for peer-to-peer contact swapping as well. Could you elaborate a little bit what that what that means in practice? Sure. So, you know, not only could your exhibitors be scanning badges, but you could also have your attendees. And we are planning to kind of release a plugin for third party event apps that would allow people to scan our badges um, and then kind of report back on like the peer peer uh, like contacts. So you would, as an attendee, scan another attendee's badge and that would go into your contact stash. Okay, very interesting. And, and as you as you mentioned, kind of that evolution, I, it feels uh, and you know, let me know if you think differently. But it feels like something like the, the 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 tube kind of scanning of RFID or that kind of more common use of RFID. I know some of the technologies aren't technically RFID or they're sort yeah. of variations <laughs> or NFC and that kind of thing. But it feels like those kind of day to day uses almost give people permission to feel comfortable with this type of technology at events. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that, you know, the the contactless scanning is now so prevalent in our everyday lives. Like I pay for something, I go onto the tube. I mean, I haven't done that in a while, but, you know, I remember doing that. Um, and, you know, I think as well, like the pandemic has also kind of accelerated the preference for contactless scanning as well like we don't really kind of want to be like necessarily touching as many things like people are a little bit more hygiene uh, conscious um and i still think that there's something about the ability to just tap something and something happened that appeals to this kind of almost quite childlike part of um of everyone like I don't know why people seem to get much more joy from going up to something and going Boop, with their badge rather than like a QR code scanner. Like I've never felt particularly like joyful scanning a QR code, but there's something <laughs> sort of, or like people are quite like you go see them interacting with touch points and they get kind of like more excited about it. And I don't know what that is. I, I think we would like need to get somebody uh kind of behavioral psychologist on the case with that one but i i don't know why that is but it is something i've observed at events that's really funny it's like the the joy of there is no joy in qr codes even if they're pretty and have a logo and there's something it still feels a little bit computer generated whilst if you tap something and the technology is sort of hidden inside it it does feel a little bit more i guess playful in a way like there's Mm -hmm. less sort of computer kind of stuff in front of you as you're doing it. That's really interesting insight. Okay, well, thank you for taking us through that. I know that was a little bit technical, but I think it's really interesting how, how Noodle Live has evolved and the technology. I think that's that's really fascinating. So now take us through the, the pandemic. And I think there was a lot of changes. Obviously, all this technology is much more, was really about in-person events, right? And that all changed two and a half years ago. So take us through a little bit of, of that process and, and how you dealt with that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, for an on-site uh, technology company, the the pandemic was problematic for our business, um, to say that to say the least. Um, and I think, like every uh, CEO of of an event tech business uh, in March 2020, had to take a good look at okay, what what are we what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to pivot? And the majority of people obviously uh, decided to pursue virtual events, um, and that and that was kind of one one response to it. Um, I guess that for us as a business, 
We were in a slightly more advantageous position um, to make better decisions based on our kind of core values and like what we actually did as a business. And I say this because we'd actually made the transition to be a completely remote company at the end of 2019. So we had, you know, our main cost was our staff and our staff were all based here in the UK. And we were very fortunate to have some like support through the furlough scheme. Um, So we were better able to make decisions because we weren't making those decisions based on who's going to lose their jobs. Is everyone going to be able to pay their rent? And as a kind of people first organization, that was my first concern. You know, this was my family, essentially. You know, these are people that I'd worked with for so many years. And we we had to kind of act in their best interests as well as the as the interest of the business. Um, but luckily, you know, we we were kind of afforded that support. Um, and I guess that, you know, there was a huge amount of pressure from our investor base to, to start chasing virtual events. But it just, to me, felt as if it was a really, it was getting more and more crowded every single day. It, suddenly everybody had a virtual event platform. And a lot of these players in that market were extremely well-funded and I just didn't feel that it was going to benefit the future success of the business to start ragging everyone to build an entirely new platform when everybody is feeling just completely, you know, disorientated by the global situation. And it wasn't, you know, part of our roadmap. And so really more like I wanted to kind of take that chance to kind of ask, you know, who who are we as an organization? And and for us, it was kind of, as, as I mentioned just before, was staying focused on being the on-site data experts and what our values were, which were we look after our staff and we make long-term decisions that are going to benefit the business and our team. And so we we took a just pause just to kind of reimagine our platform and our business really you know we we knew that we could start chat, like building a virtual platform but actually what we'd been sort of plotting just before the pandemic was to reimagine our core platform to be delivered on a really scalable self-service basis so kind of finally realizing that kind of reg in a box and we took, it was an unpopular decision with, with, amongst our shareholders, but we decided to stay focused on that. Um, and so we followed a lot of our staff um, and we proceeded with the development of, of this new platform. And we also took that opportunity to, like we're reimagining this platform and looking at like how we can, how this tech can make our customers' lives better but then we also looked at how we were running the business and how we can kind of make our staff's lives better. So what is what processes can be automated here? Where are we wasting time? Where are we basically impacting our staff's work-life balance, essentially? And we can run the business more profitably, right? So we basically kept that kind of core team on to 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 you know finish this platform and just basically go through and look at every system that we were using within the business. And so 
and how we could make it more efficient. And, you know, so that when we came back, we would be able to run on a much leaner team, that we would be able to recover faster, that we would be more profitable, and that we would be bringing something back to market, which people needed to get back on their feet, like when we started doing on-site again, which was, you know, budgets had been completely decimated, people needed uh, like operationally sound, cost-efficient, self-service product to deliver print-on-demand badging and RFID. And yeah, and I, I think that there was also something as well, um, which is at that kind of point in the business, you know, we had a lot, we were doing a huge volume of events and and everybody was was pretty burnt out, to be honest. And I think that that includes myself. And so this kind of like, rather than kind of fight this break, you know, we encouraged our staff to kind of like, okay, this is like a good opportunity for us all to take five, reconnect with our lives outside of work. And, you know, when we come back, we want to kind of make it better to work for Noodle. And we want to help people work better within the events industry as well, because we're not known for as an industry for really respecting that work-life balance, right? Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. Let me let me tap into a couple of things you said there. So take me through that boardroom conversation, because it sounds like you had some investors that probably had different ideas. How did you manage that? Was it just, you know, I'm the CEO, I'm going to put my foot down and you have the authority to do that? Or was there a sort of business case or any sort of kind of conversation around that where you managed to kind of show that this might be a better approach? Yeah, I think that that's it's it's a multi-layered kind of uh it was a multi-layered conversation. Um there was you know obviously a lot of pressure to kind of proceed with virtual. But then there was, you know, me kind of trying to bring a sense of realism to that conversation around this might go on for a really long time. We've got limited resource. That was going to be my other question, actually. How did you, because, uh, you know, we talked about earlier that so many people were saying, oh, you know, it'll, it'll be over in a few months. Did you have the foresight to say, actually, this might not be so quick and we should plan for a different kind of world? I mean, if you did, that's that's impressive because I don't think many people had that foresight, right? Most people went to virtual and kind of invested a lot of money in it and had these big predictions. I think that for me, it was it was too early in the pandemic to be making knee jerk reactions. And so for me, as I wanted to see the situation develop, I felt that the best way to protect my investors was to see the business through the pandemic to survive it. And that involved kind of, you know, cutting our cost base, banning down the hatches and just kind of holding on and then you know, but staying true to kind of what we did as a business. So, so in a way, it was sort of also saying, let's do something that actually makes sense if we stay like this or if this is it kind of thing, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Because it was just like every two minutes, like someone else was launching a new virtual platform. And, you know, we did also like, I didn't go into this just like, oh, I don't think it's a good idea. I did, you know, mail outs to our customers. I had conversations with them and a lot of them had already jumped on and signed contracts with the, you know, the big, the bigger players in that, in that market. And so it just felt that, you know, then they were being quite aggressive commercially as well. So, you know, locking down people into kind of, you know, annual or multi-year contracts. So they just really didn't seem like there was much kind of like much commercial opportunity. And also the fact, let's just not forget that we were not experts in virtual events, you know, like, and we, yeah, we could have learned that. But I think that there's something that would have kind of damaged our reputation potentially by saying, oh, we know everything there is to know about virtual when we'd never even run a virtual event. And I felt that there was a lot of people proclaiming to suddenly be experts in this. And that just didn't feel very, that felt a bit disingenuous. Um, And I think linking back into kind of like that, what was realistic is, you know, I was looking, we had extremely tired teams who would come off a really successful year. Uh, I didn't feel personally positioned very uh, to drive forward a new product. I'd had um, like prior, just at the end of 2019, I'd had a lot of kind of like difficult personal circumstances. Uh, I'd, I'd lost my brother during this time. So I'd kind of gone into that year feeling pretty low on resource and I couldn't really stand there and say, I've got what it takes right now to launch, to envision a whole new part of our platform, design it, product manage that, coordinate it, launch it, go out and sell it, you know, because we were like operating on such slim resource. And the question had to be, you know, how are we going to invest that slim resource? And is it going to be that? Is it going to be? in chasing something that already seems quite crowded and like it's not really going to provide us with a return or do we stay in the safe zone and work on what we've always done and all of those projects that we had lined up of like oh one day we'll do that or one day we'll go through all of our customer feedback why don't we just like this is our opportunity now to go back through that and to strengthen what we actually do as a business yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. And obviously very sorry about your brother. And uh, I think you know, you're not the only one that was running on fumes, I think, throughout before the pandemic and throughout the pandemic. And, and I'm really interested to understand what came out of that, both in terms of the product, but in the, the way that you organize the, the, the organization and how you how you did that and what your plans are for the future. But let's start with what you changed, both as the organization and the product, and then, then kind of look ahead. Yeah, sure. Um, I think that when when we're kind of faced with really difficult things um, in our lives, either personally or professionally, or as the pandemic was, that was kind of globally, um, I think that there is always, you know, there's the initial shock and then the initial depletion. And then there's an opportunity there to kind of look at what that experience has taught us, right? And for me, it was, I need more time to have with my family. I need to have more time outside of work to, to focus on, you know, like 
myself and, you know, yeah, just my relationships really. And I kind of felt that the most, the, the best thing I could do kind of coming off the back of that was to look at how we could better run the business to facilitate people having that time really because it's not just me like I had this big life event that kind of gave me this crashing realization right but I think that that is probably how a lot of people have felt kind of coming back after the pandemic you know we all had quite a lot of time to you know bake sourdough get into cross stitch jigsaw puzzles you know but also just spending a lot more time you know in nature walking on new hobbies like I got really into vegetable growing I now have an extremely large vegetable garden just to from the pandemic um and I just kind of felt like as I sort of like personally recovered from from that I wanted to kind of like I didn't want to kind of just throw away my career but I also didn't want to kind of go back to my career in the way that it was before before the pandemic and I felt like a lot of my team were coming to me with the same feedback. They were like, I know I shouldn't be saying this, but I'm really enjoying being furloughed. I'm having like, I've got a lot more time. I'm kind of missing being at work. There was obviously like the initial like, oh my God, the world's falling apart. Oh, I'm getting really into like sourdough. Then I'm actually now getting a bit bored because I've watched the whole of Netflix. So it wasn't like one or the other, right? It wasn't, you know, like, I feel like doing nothing isn't going to work for people, but also working 60 hours a week is just not productive. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's like, and a lot of it is stuff that like really should be automated or kind of, you know, we should have systems to manage th that because it's, it's those kind of mundane processes that are pushing people into this, into this crazy overtime that's, uh, that's so kind of synonymous with our industry. And I think that, you know, that for me kind of gave me a real sense of inspiration of, okay, like I see this on the customer side, they're spending a lot of time setting up like these tech platforms, implementing them, marketing them. It's not particularly efficient. And then on my team side, I see them wasting uh, a lot of time at work, which is like affecting their work-life balance and ultimately not making them as happy as they could be and that's you you would see that all over like every business within the events industry has you know problems with like retaining staff if because it's people do burn out you know and I've seen it you know over and over and time and time again and I just felt like we could retain our team do better for our team and just be a be a better business and and like have people coming into work who were rested who felt fulfilled outside of work and so that kind of just became a bit of a challenge for me how am i going to make that happen for my customers and how are we going to make that happen for my team and it was an interesting it was kind of an interesting uh challenge so how did you solve it what what's the what's the solution what's next so I think that, you know, from like our product side, like in, in terms of how that relates to our customers, we really wanted to uh, make it so that you could set up like our, one of our kind of core goals was I want to be able to set up an event in 10 minutes to run badging to make it, you know, like really, like really efficient and easy. So we kind of um, when you create an event in Noodle now, 
you'll log in. It asks you a bunch of questions. So do you want big badges or small badges? Do you want self-print stations or staff stations? Do you want RFID badges or QR code badges? Do you want like uh, scanners, session scanners or lead capture scanners? And then it will basically take the answers to all of your questions and configure the platform for you. So all of those like little micro settings that usually require a huge kind of like product knowledge overhead to configure were taken care of. And then, um, you know, it would then spit out, you need to order this hardware and these consumables, click here to order them from our partners. And then that would be kind of delivered straight to venue. Um, and then just kind of just looking and just being just ruthlessly optimizing the delivery process and then even going like too many clicks, too many clicks, everything, too many clicks. We wanted to like make it as like click efficient to use the platform, but also to make, you know, the actual kind of prep process also just a bit more efficient. So that's one thing that we did and coming uh, like we've seen the results of that. So our client delivery time like per project it has been reduced by over 50% which means that obviously we, um, you know, we've increased our capacity there as a business. And, you know, we're just taking up less time. Like that represents well-being for our customers, right? Because if it was taking 40 hours to work with us on a project before and now it's taking 20, that's better for their budgets, it's better for their work-life balance, it's better, you know, it's better for kind of everybody involved. And it really wasn't like rocket science. It was just looking at kind of, reducing those friction points but having the time to do that because that's the challenge when you're like in the trenches delivering events you know it's hard to find time to to make these improvements you know yeah absolutely i think it's it's fascinating that that kind of taking time off and kind of rethinking things could really also improve the the, the, the process and the, and the product but also i think you know, you talked a little bit about the structure of the company and, mm -hmm. you know, the, the different like hiring uh, management. I think you were you were hiring for a managing direction. You changed your mind as well. Could you talk a little bit about that and how you're you're structuring and, and your plans for the future? Yeah, sure. So I just felt that, um, you know, kind of the the role, the, the place that work should have in our life is like kind of needs to change. Right. So, you know, I had this actually during the pandemic, I was like working alongside my dad. I was like staying, staying with them. I can't remember what the situation was, but I was like in his office and I was working kind of next to him. And I realized kind of immediately, like after just working alongside each other for one, for one day, I realized like the difference in output of someone from his generation versus someone from my generation. And, you know, I was like, dad, how many emails did you write today? He was like, oh, about 15. I was like, wow, I've written like, like over 150 would be usually how many I would write pre-pandemic, like a day. And then, and it was just the difference in our kind of like, the difference in, in kind of output almost. And so suddenly, and this happened kind of way back in like the industrial revolution, right? When that all came in and like machines could do everything. The standard working week was six days, right? And then people realized that whilst they brought in all these machines and improved the efficiency of what we were doing, 
people actually couldn't handle working six days. Like it was causing like huge problems within within the workforce. So in a way, you were seeing that there was less activity, but in some ways, was he actually producing more or at least getting less stressed? Or was that kind of what you were saying? Yeah, I guess that it's kind of like our like the expectation of output of your team is like constantly like we're like like he kind of works in an industry where I think it's kind of like you know the the expectation of output is not so extreme. Whereas I think if you work in tech or in a very fast moving industry like events, then we we we're constantly getting all the benefits from all this technology. Uh, but the expectation is that it's just going to carry on exponentially in, in increasing our output. But it kind of that doesn't really take into consideration like our limited capacity as human beings, right? We've only got a certain amount of brain tokens to throw into the mix every week, you know. And I feel that like we're more and more seeing that like we really want to migrate to being a four day working week company because we think that with like the right systems in place that this is actually what makes sense. And furthermore, we also wanted to kind of restructure things from for, for like our client delivery, especially to utilize a freelance remote team. Because what we were seeing from hearing from like the best people in industry were like, oh, I don't know whether I want to get back into like a full-time role. It feels really draining after the pandemic. I did a few of them when I first got back. I kind of am looking for things that I can fit around my life. And so what we've seen is that by like how we run things now is that, you know, a client project comes in and we have a bunch of freelance project managers who are all working remotely who can bid on those projects based on their availability. And so they know that this is fitting around their life. They're taking on as much or as little work as they need to at that time. And it just feels better, you know, like it feels like everybody's coming to work within their own kind of boundaries and within their own capacity. Like they have that autonomy to say how much that they can work or how much they're able to work or, and we're not kind of mandating that. And the way the, you know, and then for our kind of full-time staff, you know, we, we are kind of, you know, looking to move to the four day week, because again, we just recognize that, you know, like five days of producing at like such a high level quickly, like accumulates and becomes exhausting because probably like what someone's producing in eight hours today would have taken somebody like 12 or 14 hours, 10, 10 years ago, you know, but for us, we're still going through that cognitive processing, right, to, to process those tasks. So I think that this is kind of what I found was, like, causing a lot of problems pre-pandemic. And, and I did a bunch of kind of personal experiments with, like, my own time as well of, you know, capping my, my week at four days producing way more than I ever did worshipping at the altar of busyness pre-pandemic. I used to work 60, 70 hours a week and thrive off it, feeling like I was bossing it and, you know, breaking down barriers. But I was being grossly inefficient. And I think as a leader, to like lead from that position, I suddenly realized that I was causing people to burn out by setting that as our company culture. So to kind of take it back, like to come back in like after the pandemic and have a new 
opportunity to work in a different way of leading with strict boundaries around my personal and professional life to lead with like encouraging people to have an awareness of what their capacity is, how full the cup is, what they are and are not able to do and to have a work structure that allows them to take on work as fits in their life, I think has been huge. We don't have anyone, like it's been a super busy year for us, but we do not have anyone reporting that they're exhausted or overstressed because people are assessing where they're at and how much they can take on. And it's, you know, these kind of, internal processes that we put in place make it quicker to deliver events and make it easier for people to do that remotely so you know that's fascinating kind of, yeah. do, you, do you think that this is something that any company could do or do you think that it's only really possible because you put in so much work over the last few years i just think that we've got an obsession with how many hours we're doing, right? So you must have 40 hours a week to get the most out of someone. And I just think it's a bit, it's a bit kind of short-sighted because for me, if we're a four day week company, people want to come and work for us. They are going to stay with that company. So you're kind of like immediately like attracting the best talent, retaining the best talent, you're also going to be saving like a bunch of money on recruitment fees as well, because you've got something really compelling that you're offering people. Um, and I think it does take work, but I would say that, you know, like from what I've seen about the internal systems that we've put in place, you know, if I was happy to pay someone say 40 grand a year for their 40 hours and eight of those hours were spent doing monotonous process that is now taken out of the picture. And that's the stuff that pushes people into just like burnout and just like, you know, poor mental health. If I, you know, I'm still getting what I need from that individual, but it does take, and I, it does take a review of all of your internal IT systems and where automations can be Im implemented to kind of streamline things. And that is a big project. Um, so I think that whilst we were able to do that during the pandemic because of the pause that, that that afforded us, I think, you know, it would require dedicated resource and like a really good consultant to kind of, uh, to come in and, 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 and plan and implement that, you know? Um, so I don't think it's easy, but I think that we're going to see this more and more. And, you know, I, I just think that, the way that we work is changing and we've got to respond to that because, you know, we've all seen people leaving industry, this preference for remote, quiet quitting, you know, and is it not better to have a super engaged member of staff at work for four days who has enough time to do everything that, like for themselves? So they're coming back into work on Monday, ed like invigorated and ready to kind of take on the challenges of their job. Um, and I, I just feel also as a human being much more comfortable with that and and like that the business isn't just working for our investors that it's also working for our team because they're what make it work for our investors does that make sense 
Absolutely. Invest in your team and invest in, in the health of your people and, and kind of the company runs itself or the business thrives, right? Or at least has a good chance of doing that. Fascinating. Thank you for, for sharing that journey with us. I think it's been really interesting and I really like the way that you didn't pivot like everybody else. It wasn't a sort of let's let's build a virtual platform that does contact sharing or something like that, which sounds like would have been relatively easy. But yeah, competing in a world of all these different companies trying to do that thing would, would be, um, yeah, would be a very different approach. So I know that you're soon going to be off on a, a holiday or an extended holiday. Um, and I guess all of this that you've talked about so far kind of prepares you for being able to do that. Can you share a little bit about your plans there? Yeah, so I mean, during like one of my kind of personal goals uh, has always been to like I'm a very very keen surfer. I always felt that my kind of role at Noodle inhibited a lot of my, you know, desire to living to, right the, the the living yeah, bit right exactly that's the living bit. And surely, why are we doing all this if it's not facilitating living? Um, so I've like started splitting my time, uh, between Bali, uh, in Indonesia and Cornwall in the UK. Um, and this again is kind of facilitated by us being, being a kind of remote, remote company. Um, and you know, that is just, I just feel so much energy coming into work when I've had a great surf in the morning. I don't feel like I'm sacrificing a bunch of stuff. So yeah, I'll be, I'll be heading back to Indonesia in January. I'm very much looking forward to it. It's very cold surfing here in the UK at the moment. <laughs> um, and I'm ready not to wear so much, uh, wear uh, such a thick wetsuit. Um, but I, I, I kind of, you know, feel that, that, you know, that, it's so enriching to see, to to see the results of that kind of the courage to kind of think differently about how we're working and about how I'm working it's kind of paying off for myself and and also for you know my my team and then you know there's also you know the thought about kind of like I'm I'm not sure if this is what we were kind of you were alluding to I know we talked about like uh, the challenges of kind of family life is that kind of where you were sort of edging edging the kind of conversation um, yeah absolutely and you know that's very much like on the cards for me personally and so mm -hmm. again it's just like I just don't feel like we're single faceted individuals we're not just mothers or fathers or CEOs or friends or you know surfers we we need we need some like a way of working and a way of kind of continuing this engagement with our careers, even with all this other stuff going on around the outside. And for me, it was just never going to be possible to do my job at Noodle um, and, and, and sort of be the kind of mother I wanted to be, or like have this time that is like in the water that is so enriching. Um, and again, so I've like made, uh, you know, when we're, we're now rebuilding our senior management team and, you know, just I'm going to be kind of taking a bit more of a step back from the business as I kind of, you know, me and my partner are planning to start a family this year, which is very exciting slash terrifying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I did that three, four years ago now. So yeah, I, I could get yeah, I fully with you there. Yeah. And it just kind of felt again, like, you know, I was sort of getting really deeply uncomfortable with the thought of always being away, always traveling, always, you know, 
just not really being very present in that in that journey. And you know, there's the immediate kind of like maternity leave element, you know, where <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you kind of making the tiny like growing the tiny human like bringing the tiny human into the world then you know all of the you know attention that the tiny human like needs especially yeah. in the, the kind of first year as and you know you as a as an individual learning that new role as well of being a parent um and i think that uh you know it was like i saw that like a, this new way of working with our project managers was kind of really working for um, like for those that were parents, you know, like kind of, you know, being able to kind of like work around their family life. So I kind of started to think, okay, how is this going to work at like a senior management level? And we are just basically restructuring that kind of senior management team so that the business doesn't lose my experience and the knowledge that I have for the business, but that I can take a step back enough to kind of, um, to, to, you know, make those kind of like plans a reality, you know, um, because again, 60, 70 hours a week, Clem, she's not, she's not going to have time to feed a child. Um, so, you know, and, and so, yeah, we've, we've had so a couple of really exciting appointments. Uh, we're going to, we've, uh, we're just bringing in a new director of operations who again is just kind of fully aligned and excited by our vision, uh, for how we're going to, internally and externally run our operations you know again this focus on the four-day week and then looking at kind of at bringing in a new ceo um for noodle um who will kind of like drive forward the kind of SaaS offering of the business um and you know i don't think that it has to be an all or nothing conversation for for women in leadership positions you know you can still stay and stay connected with your career but it's about being realistic i think about what we can do as 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 women when we're when we're, we we want to start a family and i think that yeah. yeah there's always you know we can always uh you know share resource with our partner but you know there is kind of you've got to think a little bit outside the box <laughs> if you're going to be a female leader right Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that with us and, and going so personal. I think this is really inspirational. I think lots of people, um, I think are feeling the same thing or feeling something similar, but I don't think many people can figure out how to make it work. And I'm glad to hear that you have and that you can mm -hmm. share some of that. And I hope that you consider writing a book, creating a blog. Um, there's a lot of really interesting nuggets here. And I think what may seem simple and easy to you or you, you've been able to achieve could be really unsurmountable for many other people. So hopefully this helps them kind of realize that there is a, a different way and different ways of doing things. So I really appreciate you sharing that with us. So Thank I wanted you. to wrap up getting a recommendation from you for anybody that you think should be on our podcast uh, in the future. Um, perhaps somebody who inspired you in, in finding these solutions and understanding how it is possible to, to run a company, but having your uh your team feel like i don't know if work-life balance is a great way to talk about this because it feels like a bit of a cliche phrase but i guess ultimately it is a it is a work-life balance or a work family life or personal life balance right yeah so i think one of my kind of favorite thinkers uh with regards to i guess efficiency and and i mean he's very much kind of makes the case for the four-day week is is a guy called uh, professor adam grant 
Um, and he's just he's just generally a really smart guy that I think would have a lot a lot to say about about this and just about that kind of that better I, I guess balance I agree with you is not the right word but better integration of our work and work and uh, personal lives because they have both have to exist and um, I think that he would make a really interesting guest um, he's definitely uh, worth looking up. Um, yeah, I know Adam. I mean, I don't know. Adam seems like a bit <laughs> out of reach for this podcast, but we can try. Uh, I read his book, Think Again, and I think it was a really fascinating book. And I know he's, he's I follow him on social media as well. And um, he always has a lot of insightful, uh, slightly not controversial, but kind of contrarian to what you might think. But he always backs it up with a lot of scientific research, which I think is super valuable rather than putting an opinion out there and saying, you know, this is how it works actually kind of backing it up with research is, is I think really important in these days where there's mm. so much misinformation and people that just sort of shout out things that they believe in, but have no kind of backing for. So um, thank you for that. Um, we never know. Maybe Adam, if you're listening, uh, do please get in touch. We'd love to have you on the podcast. We'll reach out and see if we can make that happen. Well, I think if anyone like needs his expertise, it's, it's the events industry uh, for sure. <laughs> you know it. Um, and um yeah just want to thank you for for you know this conversation and you know it feels uh you know it feels quite vulnerable to be talking about this kind of stuff and not projecting oh i'm success like you know the success image of mm -hmm. i've got it all together i can do produce at this at this level and actually to say whoa like sometimes even the le leaders can't can't do that and we have yeah. to think of it in a different way and it's been a hugely satisfying uh personal process and it's really satisfying to see what that's now bringing to the people i work with based on my customers and also my team as well so i hope that there's some value um here for for those listening there certainly is and i really appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing those things i i often ask people to share those vulnerabilities and it's not an easy thing to do and a lot of people decide not to or kind of evade those questions but you you definitely didn't and we really appreciate that and i'm sure you will inspire lots of people to think differently um so thank you for being with us today